Join Sarah Weiss in the infinite field of energetic aliveness and heart-centered wisdom. This is the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. I'm Sarah Weiss, and today Jackie Stevenson joins me for an in-depth conversation on living into your wisdom. For those who are looking for inspiration on how to follow your heart and transform your life, this conversation is for you. Jackie Stevenson is a wise and warm-hearted spirit woman. She co-teaches with nature and horses to provide leadership training and transformational experiences. And now here's my conversation with Jackie Stevenson. Jackie, why don't you lead us in an invocation and open sacred space for us today? Thank you for that honor. First, I want to thank you for inviting me and to open into the space of learning and healing in light and allowing many of us to join you in in that journey. So much gratitude to you. Thank you. Sacred Mother Earth, Father Sky, Grandmother Moon and Grandfather Sun, power and spirits of the four directions, and the amazing elements of nature, fire and air, and water and earth, beings that live within the earth and crawl, those that live upon the earth, those that love, live above the earth, all the way to the magnificence of the heavens. On this day, I offer gratitude for the privilege of simply being alive. And I invite all of us to join together as one heart, one heart of gratitude, one heart of respect, a heart of honor, and a heart of love. So together, maybe we can place our feet upon the earth or the energy of the earth. If you're higher up, her earth gravity goes many, 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 many feet up up to reach us. And may we place our feet upon her with care and compassion, feeling her energy of care and compassion meeting us from below. May we be present with the earth. May we be present with the sacredness of all life. May we be present with our hearts this morning. So if you can bring your attention to your heart space, maybe even if you're comfortable placing your hand over your heart and resting it gently there. And if you can, to slow and deepen your breath, no special breath, just a slow and gentle breathing, taking in that most precious breath of life that is the most intimate connection that we have with nature. It's the first connection we have in the very last one in our physical realm. And as you Breathe in that sacred life with your hand placed gently over your heart. Maybe you can connect with your heartbeat, the heartbeat of the earth, the heartbeat of all life, and the heartbeat of this amazing community that has gathered this morning or this afternoon whenever you've joined us, connecting the heart. And as you pay attention to your heart and deepen your breath with your feet, resting gently upon the earth and your hand resting gently on your heart. Maybe bring to mind something that you have gratitude for, a person, a place, a situation. And as we 
bring in that resonance of energy, our heart grows bigger as we offer that out to others and it comes back in full measure, our heart yet grows. Offering gratitude for those who've been our teachers, our friends, our healers, our mentors, those who've offered us sweet and loving energies and those who have offered us challenges. We learn from all of them and we humbly give gratitude. In this time of uncertainty, we can be certain of one thing. Mother Earth is beneath our feet. And as long as we connect with her, we'll always have a place of belonging. And as long as we connect with our hearts and the hearts of others, we're never alone. May it be so. May it be so. Thank you, Jackie. Now we have different ears to hear and different eyes to see. We're open in sacred space. And so our conversation is taken to a new level. And those that are listening will be listening with their hearts, will be receiving the light and love and compassion of Mother Earth and Father Sky. And let's begin. So Jackie, why don't you give us just kind of an overview of what has brought you to this place in your life where you have such a full spiritual practice that every part of your life is touched by your spiritual work. And so this series of podcasts is called Living Into Your Wisdom. And give us a little background on how you've lived into your wisdom. Well, I think that each of us have the opportunity to open to possibility. And I think there are several times in our lives when that window of opportunity is a little more open, maybe a little more available. I think every day and every moment when we're present is awakening is a spiritual awakening. And that happens in a, hopefully for all of us, that it isn't a separate miracle, but it is a daily miracle of being present. But then there are those moments that stand out that are allow us to be more fully who we are. I think of the one this morning, which have to do with the birth of my children. I have three sons and today is the birthday of my middle son and Joseph, who's named after Joseph in the Bible as a dreamer, turns 45 this morning. And I think with each birth of each child, starting with David, my first son, I would hold their bodies next to mine and could feel, the first thing I could feel was the heartbeat. I, I sensed the heartbeat within me, but there was something when the heartbeat was on the outside where this individual human being was joyfully entering life. And as I listened to the heartbeat, I also could feel the heartbeat of sacred Mother Earth and a uh, profound and sacred connection to the deep feminine. Even though these were sons, they held the deep feminine in such a beautiful way. And I could feel the heartbeat of the generations behind me alive within me and maybe even the generations that were going to be yet to come. And so this was a moment um, of listening through my heart and to my heart. And I don't know that I ever have felt that much of a um, both physical, emotional and spiritual um, connection and listening to my heart. And as I listen to the wisdom from the heart, um, 
I began to understand the sacred journey of motherhood as an awesome responsibility of both bringing life into the world and to nurturing it along. I think my journey of motherhood was very much guided by the wisdom of the heart, uh, also the voice of Mother Earth and heartbeat of all of nature. But I think as I look back now, most of um, what I learned about motherhood, I learned from my children. And they taught me how to be a mom by listening to them and both offering unconditional love and acceptance to them and receiving that back. Beautiful and touching. Let me ask you this, Jackie. Growing up as we did, we're, we're of the same generation. What was it like to open up to that sense of the feminine in such a deep way? Well, I, I didn't have language for it growing up, but um, I was very blessed to have two extraordinary parents, um, an amazing, amazing mother who did love unconditionally. She used to say that there are no perfect circles. The heart is not a perfect circle. So I don't Mm -hmm. expect perfection. And they would say to me, Jackie, you know, we know that there isn't anything you can't do. And we want you to know, we don't care if you do anything. (laughs) And that holding that polarity of um, belief in me that I could do what I needed to do in my life and the um, compassion to um, not have to do anything was really awesome. We also spent a lot of time in nature. We didn't have a lot of money to go on fancy vacations, but we spent a lot of time camping and um, spent a lot of time outside in in our backyard and front yard. And I spent a lot of time in our apple tree. So I think the love of nature, the love of family, and the role model I had as a unconditionally loving mother and um, and father as well. He celebrated every day of life. And I think even as a man, he held the deep feminine within him in his unconditional love for, for justice and people. Mm, a beautiful tribute to your parents. So as you continued on in your life and your practice, I know you were a uh, professional therapist, correct? Is that mm-hmm. how you started out your career? And then your practice seemed to take a more expansive path. And could you describe how that opened up for you? Well, I think that I never had a grand plan for my life or for my career. I just seemed to take one step at a time and follow what caught my interest and what I love to do. So I was able to. Um, begin as a, a therapist. And fairly soon into that, I realized that everyone that I worked with had a spark of the divine in them, every single one. And my job as a therapist was to see and find that spark of the divine in that person, that special gift that made them who they were, and to help them discover that in themselves and to deepen that so that if I could help them build on that and their strengths, then those things that were troublesome to them and people around them um, would be less relevant. And so that's how I began to work with people and really from that place of love and appreciation and not from the place of brokenness or woundedness, but really from the place of seeing their fullness, seeing them in the fullness of their health and well-being and possibility. And if I could hold that space for them, 
until they can could get there themselves. So that's really how I started. So I didn't think about it being a spiritual practice, but as I look back on it now, it had a lot to do with it being a spiritual practice in terms of how I approached that. I began to realize that most of the people I worked with in that way, it became more like life coaching. So I began to look at couples coaching and life coaching as a way to um, help them discover what lay within and me not to need to diagnose what was wrong. So I've more and more moved into that using my therapeutic training to understand the depth of beingness and the spiritual beingness, um, but more and more working as their life coach to help them reach the goals and to begin to overcome the challenges that have um, approached them in their lives. You really took my breath away when you said that you see the spark of the divine in each person. As you said that, I could see and feel how that has been the core essence of your being for as long as I've known you and known about your work. Spark of the divine. I mean, that's just the perfect essence of you. And so then how did all of this lead into your work with the horses? Well, I was started kind of, I was working at the Jewish Community Center. I was the director of a, one of the buildings in Beechwood. And I had talked my board into sending me to Israel every summer with our youth that went. So I spent most of the summer outside hiking and sleeping out under the stars and um, exploring and being a learner with the kids. In fact, if I, I didn't see a, a mirror all summer, I forgot that I was as old as I was and they were as young as they were. Um, but <laughs> when I got back, uh, the walls of my office were too confining and I really missed being outside the depth of outside the smells, the sensuous experience of being out of doors. So I decided to um, shift my daily life and work and go back to being a therapist and coach, but I would see all my clients outside. That was my vision. And so I was I was blessed to live <clears throat> in a forested area and I didn't want to um, bring clients in, indoors so in Cleveland, it's kind of hard to work outside, <clears throat> excuse me, all, all um, year round. So a friend of mine helped me build a yurt. And it's a very temporal uh, tent um, to work in with a wood-burning stove to keep us warm in the winter. And so I began to see all my clients either outside or in the yurt. And sometimes we just bundled up. I remember one day sitting across from somebody in a chair, each of us bundled in a blanket with the most beautiful snowflakes landing on our noses as we talked to each other. And um, I think when you're, when I'm outside, I can more fully be present uh, to myself and others. I'm more fully alive. Um, I'm never alone because I have the grounding of the earth and the shelter of the trees and the expansiveness of the sky. And um, it, it, it informs my work. And I think 90, well, maybe 90 percent of the work is done by having people just be outside as they're exploring whatever life issues they're exploring. And so I started working outside and um, people could choose, do they want to work up high on the hill to see a larger vision? Do they want to work by the stream to let things flow? Do they want to work with their back against the tree to feel uh, secure in their place of belonging? So nature became my core partner in the work. And I've had horses in my life since I've been 20. They've lived in my backyard and my kids, they have helped raise my children. 
and um, they were part of the co-parenting. So to get to where we worked, they'd have to walk by the horse pasture and the horses often would put their heads over the fence and people would stop and talk to the horses and the horses would be there for them. And they would say, you know, I finally got it. When uh, Jet Set leaned her head over, Thunderheart looked me in the eye. I could feel my heart expand and I really was able to deepen the learning that I had from, from my time in nature with you. And so uh, they became part of the work. And pretty soon I started putting chairs in the pasture and letting the horses be more and more part of the work. And now they're my, uh, my, my major partners. <clears throat> Whenever possible, we're out with the horses and um, they are, they have become the coaches. And I step back and create the sacred space and safety for people and the introduction to the horses. And then the work happens mostly between the horses and, and the people. A moment of silence is appropriate here because this is so touching and so connected. So then you took your work with the horses and expanded that bubble so that even corporations and other non-for-profit institutions could partake in this type of experience? Yes. I think I'd like to maybe say something about um, my relationship with the horses, if that's okay. Sure. Because, Go ahead. Again, it's, you know, you asked me at the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. what informed you in your spiritual practice. And I think the horses have done that. They are such magnificent beings with big hearts and they live in silence and they live in harmony um, horses have, are the oldest living mammal. They've been around 65 million years with the same DNA. And I think they've thrived in watching our horses for several reasons. One is they live in harmony with themselves, with each other, with whoever, whatever beings come into their pasture, and with their environment. They're always, there's a, they are always connected. They work together. They're a team. They know that to the extent that every horse is healthy, the herd is healthy. And to the extent that the herd is healthy, each horse is healthy. So that we're in all this together is something we've been saying during this time of uh, challenge we have, but the horses have been living that. And the other thing that I've really noticed is that they are um, unconditionally optimistic and positive. They're always looking for the best, shade, a, a friend to play with, um, green grass. They're never looking over their shoulder with regret or disappointment. They're always looking for the next best place to be. And because they're so present in the moment with that unconditional belief that life can be better, they are always moving towards the next best place to be, and it's there waiting for them. And so. Um, They've been my, you know, I've just learned so much from them. But I think the moment that it changed, because as I said, I had horses in my life from when I was 20. And when I was about 35, that's when I began bringing the horses into my work. And I realized that if I was going to support people in their journey with the horses, I had to deepen my own. And so I did some research and found a woman in Colorado 
who worked with horses, wild horses primarily, in the spirit that I uh, most aligned and resonated with me. <clears throat> and I knew I wanted to build not only my knowledge, but my resonance in my heart and my connection to horses. And so I went to Spirit Horse Ranch for three weeks, almost a month. And um, I met uh, an amazing uh, woman mentor and her herd. And the leader of the herd was a wild, free-roaming Mustang, buckskin Mustang with kind of a butterscotch coat and black tail and mane named Roxy. And from the time I entered Roxy's pasture, which was about an 80-acre pasture, I tried to approach Roxy. And every time I approached her, she backed away. And every day I walked towards Roxy, and every day she walked away. And I, um, one day it was a nice warm meadow and uh, sunny day in the meadow and I leaned back against this big boulder and fell asleep. And when I woke, there was Roxy nudging my shoulder with her herd all around her. And I just sat really quietly and listened to her breath and could feel her heart, could feel the heartbeat of the earth. And what came to me was I had been bringing horses into the human world. And I never had the opportunity or took the opportunity or had the awareness that I could enter their world as of horse and herd, that I could be guests in their world, that if I entered their world, there was so much to learn. And so it was really, it's so, so simple, but sometimes those revelations are so simple. And I realized that I needed to learn from the horse about what their world was like. And the first thing that I learned just sitting there was I needed to wait for the invitation, that I couldn't go barging into their world. I needed to wait, very much like Margaret Mead, the anthropologist, would go to a new culture and stay at the edges and wait for the invitation and not enter until she had that invitation. And slowly, slowly, she'd be invited into the heart of the community. And so I waited, and I waited for the invitation in a silent, quiet way. And I let Roxy know how much I was grateful and appreciated her invitation. And I slowly stood up and she moved just maybe a foot or two away from me. And I just stood next to her. And then I got the feeling that it was time for me to go and to leave Roxy and her wild herd. And I started walking towards the gate and the fence and Roxy felt in line right next to me, shoulder to shoulder, not touching, probably no more than, probably about three feet away from me. Um, but she walked next to me the entire way. And when I stopped, she stopped. And when she stopped, I stopped. And we walked to the fence together and I opened the gate and walked out and turned around and just really bowed to her. And then she lowered her head to bow to me. Mm -hmm. And then in a flash, she turned, kicked up her heels and took off at a gallop with a herd to the end of the field. Mm -hmm. And I think that was um, really a turning point that changed everything. So when I returned home, it was kind of like my herd said, well, finally, finally, we had to send you away to learn what you needed to learn and come back home. And sometimes we do need to leave home and leave the comfort of where we are and go into the unknown and the uncertain to learn what we most need to learn. And I 
came back and really spent a lot of time listening to my horses, learning their embodied language, listening for the collective wisdom of their herd, um, having a deep appreciation and reverence for their silence, um, and um, really understanding the importance as they walked with their hoofs that every step upon the earth is a blessing and how we can offer respect with every footstep that we take. Um, so that that is how my relationship happened. And so now when corporations come out, we don't do a lot of um, activities. The horses are at liberty. They can come and go as they choose. They decide if they want to volunteer and who they'd like to work with. And it's all about relationship and connecting and listening from the heart and finding in that silence in your heart what really matters to you. So leaders and teams come and in the quiet of the pasture and in the uh, big hearts resonating of the horses, they can feel their own hearts and really listen to the message from their heart, the intuition, the deep intuition that they have within them that is the guiding light for them and their North Star. And they discover what's most important to them and maybe how to solve some of the issues that they've been struggling with in a more simple way. And so um, the work has shifted from being doing activities to horses to um, being in relationship to them and to their world. Well, that really resonates with a lot of the feminine wisdom that we've been connecting to on the planet now. It's about asking permission, patience, perseverance, allowing, uh, compassion, openness, collaborativeness, sharing space. Wow, beautiful work. So another thought I had while you were describing this, um, I imagined you with the horses out in the paddocks and the pastures and communing with them. And then I wondered if you also did any kind of shamanic journeying or any type of spiritual practice that led you deeper into the consciousness that you would share with these beautiful spirit beings? Yeah, I think that um, really starting with just being with them, they are the true shamanic practitioners. So just being in their presence of heart and quiet and silence and reverence and connectedness to the earth I think is one of the practices that I consider a shamanic practice. So just being with them in that resonant space, um, in that space of um, connectedness, um, and especially the connectedness between heart and mind and spirit and soul. So that's the first thing. In addition, um, sometimes I'll put the um, my massage table out in the field, and if I'm doing any kind of um, hands-on work. I do some polarity work, um, which is a hands-on practice of Randolph Stone, um, where we're inviting the health of the body to come forward. The horses often come around and join me, and they have their noses on different places in people's bodies, often where their heart space is, and they're quiet, offering their breath, just kind of breathing on people. So they're my partners in, in that work, which is um, ceremonial work. I think in the shamanic tradition, no one works alone. You're always working with the elements of nature and the community. So the horses in their herd become the container, that sacred space of the container that holds um, the ceremonial work of, of healing. 
So that's, that's one thing. Um, I think the other is uh, we do drumming with the horses. So horses love the drums. And as soon as I start drumming, they come over. So we often have drum circles out with the horses and um, create a circle of chairs. We don't generally lie on the ground unless we're in a space um, where there's a fence around us and then the horses are on the outside. So they don't step on us, but um, we drum and, and journey do drum journeys with horses as our guides. And I think they, in the shamanic tradition, Mongolian tradition, the drum is called the horse. And as they drum the drum, they're inviting the horse spirit in. And the horses in those journeys often take us places that we couldn't travel alone. And they often take us to the next place of consciousness or the place of dreams or the place of the ancestors. So in traditional drum journeys, uh, horses have often been, been um, part of, of the journey. Um, I do some soul retrieval work. Often when people come for soul retrieval in the conversation, it is really, is it a need for soul retrieval? And if people haven't changed their lives enough to make it welcoming for the soul to want to return and stay, I suggest we do some work to create the best possible conditions for that soul to thrive. Very much like if you want things to grow in your garden or on the earth, if you have soil that's not prepared well or is still toxic or doesn't have nutrients in it or isn't healthy, the seeds will not grow or they'll grow in, in not ways that thrive. And so we, I spend time with people to make sure, either with me or with someone else, that they tend to the soil of their soul and really create a spirit that a soul would want to return to. And then, and then I'll, I'll uh, agree to do that. We work with the medicine wheel and the horses. Uh, we have a medicine wheel practice that we work with the horses um, in the four directions and the eight directions. So uh, there's many, many ways we do sacred painting on the horses where the horses show us the image and we paint it on their, on their, on their bodies as they let us and they're at Liberty. If they don't want to be painted, they walk away or they change what we're doing. And then they carry those images uh, into the next realm for us. So many, many exciting ways to, um, They've showed us how they can participate in the shamanic practices. Thank you so much for transporting us into that world that you live in. I mean, as you describe it, it's so much a part of every cell of your being that as you speak it, we join you there. It's, it's a very living, palpable frequency that we're able to resonate with as you speak. So as we come to the end of this podcast, Jackie, how would you um, recommend that people contact you and what services you would offer? Um, well, they could go to our website and there's an email. They could um, contact me and I'd be happy, happy to, to respond if you have any questions not even just for services. If you have any questions or just want to have a conversation, I'm happy to do that. We do individual coaching sessions with the horses um, and couples sessions. I have families that come out. Um, one person wanted to have a birthday party and I said, well, we're not a, a petting place, but we do parties with a purpose. So if you'd like to come out with some friends and learn about how to be a good, learn about friendship and how to not be a bully and how to, um, be um, a compassionate, kind friend. The horses can help you with that. And then you can have your birthday cake. So mm -hmm. we do that. We have 
at this time, our herd is, is a little bit smaller. We've, um, we have four horses. Most of them are draft horses. They're pretty big. We have one pony and we have one rescue zebra. And she is uh, friendly and curious and fun loving. So you can go on our website and meet our horses. There's bios of them. Um, I have a book called Someday We'll Live Like Horses that you can get through Amazon. And it talks about each of the horses and some of what lessons we can learn from them. Um, we have wisdom horse cards that uh, the horses have offered uh, a process to learn about um, what matters to you and solve problems with their, with their support. And we do, as you said, we do groups and corporate um, meetings. Um, we have a cottage people can use for their meetings and gatherings as long as their horses are part of it. Um, and because we're outside with the horses, we can practice social distancing quite easily by being outside and, and the horses are, are always practicing <laughs> social distancing. Space is the most important resource to them. Space for themselves, space to be free, space to find good food, space to find shelter, space to raise their young. So this notion of space um, is one that I have found pretty interesting because we're much more aware of it now. And even though in some way it seems inconvenient, um, the horses really um, have shown me that having space for your ideas having space to open your heart. There's many ways to think about space um, that is really quite uh, informative. And so I've chosen to look at space in that way. So people can come out and, and do that. We have a Tuesday morning women's group that um, is open to people to come out and just enjoy the land and, and time with the horses. And we meet most every Tuesday morning. So um, I welcome people to learn with our herd, to learn from our land. It's a beautiful 80 acre um, property that is held in conservancy, so it never can be subdivided. Um, there are ledges on our property from the glacier 350 million years ago that are up to 30, 40 feet tall, and stones all across the land, milky quartz that are 1.1 billion years old. So the land holds a certain amount of history and resonance. Um, and high frequency that when we walk upon her, she is so generous in offering to us. I will have all the information for contacting Jackie and where you can resource her books and cards in the show notes. And Jackie, and, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think one last thing, because I think that one of the gifts that you offer to, in all your teachings is the gift of intuition. And I think that when you're, um, tuned into the earth and you are with the horses in that quiet kind of curious calm loving place when we're connected to nature and that collective wisdom um, we're able to more clearly listen from within um, and hear what most wants to be heard and I think that um, you know what we hear from our heart is so individual so my intuition and what comes to me in the same situation might be different than yours. Um, and learning to trust our own hearts um, in that way. So I think we are in a time when intuition is so important to guiding our true north, to guiding our path of honor and love and wisdom and compassion. And so I really honor the work, Sarah, that you do around helping people find 
intuition and then discovering once they find it how to be responsible with it and how to offer it in a way for the better betterment of all and for the greater good of the most. Thank you, Jackie. It's been a real honor to be invited into your world, into your consciousness, and to the beauty of your heart. And thank you from the depth of my heart for sharing your time with us today. Many blessings. Thanks for listening to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.